0: On most Tuesday mornings, I gather with a group of other clergy on the island uh, at Gruby's for breakfast. And uh, there's a handful of us, and it fluctuates in terms of numbers and who attends. And the agenda fluctuates, too. Sometimes we talk about something serious. Sometimes we talk about an issue that's going on on the island, in the world, in our churches. Sometimes we just share our lives and enjoy each other and have fellowship together. But as we break bread together, our commitment is really to bless each other and to enjoy the fellowship in the midst of serving the Lord together. But sometimes on Tuesdays we get into this little rapport where we're exchanging one-liners with each other. And I know some of you might have a hard time picturing me being one who would do one-liners. especially my staff and my golfing buddies. But I really enjoy that. And sometimes also we have visiting clergy. And there was a guy this week, his name was Skip, who was visiting us, and one of the clergy, and he brought him to the breakfast. And we kind of got into this one-liner, back-and-forth kind of stuff. And this guy's looking at us. At first, I think it was surprised that we're not, like, really you know respectful and holy and all that <laughs> and then he starts smiling cuz he t- he could tell we were really enjoying each other and then he looks at all of us and he says you guys really need to take this on the road <laughs> which was really kind of fun so anyway after i finished the breakfast my my standard practice is is to then go home and write my sermon for Sundays, Tuesday morning. And so as I open the scripture, what do we have? On the road to Emmaus. And I thought, there's a message here. So I started just thinking about this whole idea of being on the road. And it dawned on me, for example, that I was just on the road on Easter Sunday and the day after as we were driving to Pittsburgh, and then that Thursday driving back from Pittsburgh. And the reality is we're always, most of us, on the road regularly, but sometimes we do these long road trips. Now this particular road trip to and from Pittsburgh, for me, is practically mindless. It might be dangerous for other people on the road, but it's practically, it's practically mindless for me. Because I know it so well. The only thing I really have to pay attention to is the other drivers and the flow of traffic and maybe if it goes down into one lane or there's some work. But more or less, I know, Oh, and where the state troopers are, I know some of those spots. (laughs) But by and large, I know it so well, I really don't have to think or worry about where I'm going. As Meredith and I were driving, I started thinking about our son Daniel's getting ready to move from Fort Drum in Watertown, New York, to Fort Sill in Oklahoma. And it's right around Memorial Day that he was talking about going. And I started thinking, well, that might be the next time we come up to Pittsburgh, so maybe we can meet on the road when they're moving down. And so I decided to call him and talk about timetable and which route he might be traveling. So I called him up and said, Daniel, give me a call when you get a chance. We're on the road heading towards Pittsburgh. So he calls me back, and he said, what's up, Dad? So I said, uh, do you know what day? And he said, well, it's either this day or this day. And I said, well, we might be in Pittsburgh. Do you know what route you're going? He said, I have no idea. And I said, "If you looked at a map? He said, Dad, we don't do that. I said, what do you mean you don't do that? And he said, we just get the GPS, we plug in the address, and then we just go. I said, really? (laughs) Now, I use GPS on and off, but I still like to know where I'm going when I'm going. You know, and when you're traveling on the road, I mean, think about it, you're going to run into some hazards from time to time, right? And it's nice to have that map to figure out where you might go. Anyway... Think about all the hazards and the potential hazards you have. And you've got sometimes, especially when you're traveling up north, Thanksgiving time, New Year's time, you know, even Easter weather. So you've got to concern yourself with that. You've got to concern yourself with some of the construction that's going on. The traffic, I was amazed. You know, I thought we'd beat the heritage traffic. 95 and 26 were disasters as we were traveling. So you start thinking about all the potentials. You know, one of the other ones for me, the last two long road trips I took was rocks to the windshield. Last time I'd have my windshield replaced. This time I need, you know, one of those little repairs. What's that? Two trips? But we all travel the road. And sometimes we trust That we know the route. So we don't have to really worry about it. Sometimes when we leave, we say, we're just going to figure it out. Sometimes we trust technology. But in many ways, we're on a road in this life, too. If you think about it. And as we come to this story, on the road to Emmaus, we run into these two people. We don't really know exactly who they are. We know the one's name. Cleopas or Clopas. And his traveling companion. And they run into this stranger. And the stranger that they run into will change their direction on the road and where they're heading and will change their eternal destiny. Because of this encounter. Now, we don't know why they went to Jerusalem in the first place. They could have gone to Jerusalem because it was Passover time. They could have gone to Jerusalem because they knew Jesus and they knew his ministry. And maybe even they were disciples. We don't know exactly. We get little hints. And it could even be Clopas and his wife are the two traveling. Because if you look in John chapter 19, you will see three Marys by the cross. Do you ever realize that? There's three Marys there. There's Mary, the mother of God. There's Mary Magdalene. And there's Mary, the wife of Clopas. So she was there. And my guess is that Clopas didn't leave her there. So it might have been the two of them walking down the road together, heading back home, maybe back to work. And she was at the cross and she saw Jesus die. So they're probably discussing all this as they're walking down the road. And then they encounter this stranger and they're not sure who it is. We don't know exactly why that is either. Maybe he had his hood down. Maybe they just weren't expecting them, expecting to see him. Did you ever do that? You know, you see somebody at the beach, sunglasses and a bathing suit on. Whoa, I don't know who that is. But you do. So the reality is that they're discussing what they just experienced. And the stranger says, Mind if I walk along with you? What are you all talking about? And what was their reaction? It was incredulous. The whole city knew. And remember, if this is Passover, it could be a million people. They're saying everybody knew what just happened. There was this incredible prophet who was mighty in word and deed. So they're describing this person that they were enamored by, they were thrilled by. There was something about this Jesus. But the high priests were against him. And they were good Jews. I mean, they were there for Passover. So maybe they're thinking maybe the high priests are right. Maybe this guy really is bad. And that he was killed. And we thought, we thought he might be the Messiah. I mean, think about Palm Sunday. Think about how Jesus was, the mighty deeds, the words that he said. We thought he might have been the Messiah. And then something really crazy happened. We're still there up until today. And this woman comes back and says, The tomb's empty. He's risen. And then a couple of disciples go and say, Yeah, the tomb's empty and he's risen. And then they left. How does that make sense? She saw him die on the cross. They never heard of someone rising from the dead again. So as much as they thought this might be the Messiah, a prophet mighty in word and deed, there's no way. They were questioning. They were in doubt, but they didn't stay. And you get the hint as to why, because we had hoped. We thought, past tense, it's over, it's done. We don't understand what happened and why. We don't fully understand or comprehend who this Jesus is. But we had hoped. And that's where these two are. And they were sad. That's what Luke says. They were sad as they were walking along. They even say he was in the tomb three days. What does that tell you? You need to understand that. It's really, really important that you understand this whole notion of three days. Because, you know, when we think of three days, by the way, we think of a three-day weekend, which means you are off all day Friday, all day Saturday, and all day Sunday, right? And I don't know if you ever get asked this question or you yourself have thought about, how was Jesus in the tomb three days? If he died Friday afternoon and he rose Sunday morning, how's that three days? How's that work? I mean, that's not really like one of our weekends off, you know what I mean? See, you need to understand the Jewish mindset. First and foremost, if you're in the grave three days, you're really dead. So it's really important that Jesus is really dead when he rises again, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is for a Jew, any part of a day constitutes a day, even if it's an hour or two. Thirdly, if you understand that he had to be buried by sundown on Friday, then he was buried before the Jewish day begins, which is at sundown. So that means he was in the grave on Friday. And then he's in the grave all day Saturday. And then after sundown on Saturday night, it's now Sunday. So he's in the grave three days. Everybody on bored with that right which means he's really dead so when they say to this stranger i mean he's been in the grave three days and then they say he's risen they're saying how does a really dead person get risen and that's why they left they had hoped you need to understand they had hoped so they were not expecting this stranger to be the risen lord jesus So, what does Jesus do? He's listening to all this. He says, Boy, you just don't get it, do you? That's really what he says. I mean, that's probably how I would have said it. Have you ever said that to anyone? Talking about faith, talking about Christianity, and say, You really don't get it. You really don't understand what it means to be a Christian. I did it this week. Because at times like this, people really don't get it. They kind of dabble at Christianity, or they think they know what Christianity is, but they really don't believe. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says you need to understand. You need to understand who the Messiah really is. You need to understand why the Messiah had to suffer. See, because there, was these, there were these preconceived notions about who the Messiah was or should be or is. And that's what they were latched on to. That's what they were thinking about. Because in their minds, the Messiah doesn't die and people don't rise again from the dead. And that's why they threw the high priests in there. The high priest, Adam, crucified. They obviously didn't believe. And people have these preconceived notions about who God is or who God should be or who Jesus is or who Jesus should be and what a Christian should believe. Even if they aren't. We do it too. Sometimes we question, how could God Allow this. How could God let that happen? The Malaysian airline. How could God let that happen? The Korean ferry and all those young people that died. How could God let that happen? You know, it's an irony with some of the stuff that happens in the world. We really want our free will. Right? Doesn't everyone want their free will? It's why we live in the United States. We want freedom. It's why we think we should be able to act how we want, when we want, because we're free people. God gave us free will, after all. So we are free people. And yet, at the same time, when a Malaysian airline pilot exercises his freedom and does something wrong, or when a Korean ferry pilot does something wrong. We say, why why did God allow that? As if they shouldn't be allowed to have freedom to make bad decisions or mistakes. See how that works? See, because ultimately, we don't always buy into the God that we say we believe in, who allows free will. Or we think God should be a certain way at certain times for us. We certainly think that God should accommodate whatever it is we believe or how we want to live. And that's the same thing with the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day that he had to contend with. That they wanted God and they wanted the Messiah to be a certain way. Which for them, meant all the Jews are Okay. With some people, it means if you believe a certain way, you're okay. If you live a certain way, you're okay. Or everybody's okay. It really doesn't matter what you believe or how you live. We're all getting there anyway, right? So Jesus says, you don't get it. The Messiah had to suffer. Why did the Messiah have to suffer? Because you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. And without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. And you needed someone who was fully human and at the same time fully God to be able to be the sufficient sacrifice for your sin and the sin of the world. Because you're a sinner who needs a Savior. You need redemption. So the Messiah the anointed one, that Christ had to suffer. And so he took them through the Old Testament, through Moses and the prophets, as it says. Moses, so anyone who might adhere to the, the belief of the Sadducees would buy into it, beginning with Genesis 3, the first prophecy about the Messiah coming. And then carry on through the prophets. And all the different prophecies that this suffering servant Messiah, this Jesus, the anointed one, filled with the Spirit, would fulfill. Dozens and dozens of prophecies that he fulfilled. But he had to rise. He not only had to die, he had to suffer and die for the sin. He had to rise. Because then he shows that he has power over sin and over death. And that we have the power to be transformed in our life and share eternal life with him. So he unpacks, if you will, the scriptures for them. And he shows them what the Messiah was meant to be and what the Messiah was meant to be like so that they would understand. You know, Kevin Higgins, last week, our guest preacher, he referred to this experience as rebirthing. You know, we call it born again, but that is so trite in many circles today. But a rebirthing. But he went on to say that a lot of people have a misconception of being rebirthed. That we call ourselves believers, and oftentimes that belief just stays in our head. And he said, we need to go on from being believers to knowers, where we know who this Messiah is. We know his word. We know why Jesus would unpack the word, that there's confidence in the word, and that we would then become trusters and we would live according to his call on our lives. We would trust him in all things. And that's what Jesus was moving towards this transformation. This aha moment. So that they would come to an understanding of faith and they would begin to trust that the Messiah had to suffer. Too often there are people out there that say peace, peace where there is no peace. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you live. And that's just not true. It matters how you believe, and it matters how you live. Thirdly, the word Moses and the prophets, that Jesus unpacks for all of them. That Jesus would say in his first sermon that I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The scriptures must be fulfilled. He would end his sermon with, you need to build on the foundation which is the Word of God. And so often we don't know the Word, or we don't believe the Word, or we question the Word, or we undermine the Word, or we listen to the voices in the culture that say you can't really trust the Bible when Jesus points to the Word. As the reason He is the Messiah, that He came to fulfill. What happened next? What happened next? We're told that He broke bread with them. That not only did He explain the Scriptures and explain the suffering servant, Messiah, now He shows them through what He revealed at the Last Supper that He said this represents. He shows them through the breaking of bread and the pouring out of the blood, the wine. So he gives them the word and unpacks it. Then he demonstrates it in the sacrament. Word and sacrament going together. This is my body broken for you, the suffering servant Messiah. This is my blood poured out for you, the suffering servant Messiah. And they finally begin to see what Jesus had said before. Who Jesus is and why he came. their, Their eyes are open and they see the Messiah. They see Jesus for the first time, no longer a stranger. He's now the Messiah. They understand. And he disappears. So what do they do? Oh, he did it again. Might as well forget about this. Just go on with our lives. No. They say, it's real. It's true. We believe. And they turn around and they go back. Now, this is people who left earlier in the day, moseyed along the road, walked until it was almost evening. Then all of a sudden, they have the revelation of Jesus. What do they have to do? They have to tell somebody. They've got to tell people who understand and believe. They've got to tell somebody. Why? Because their eyes are open. Their hearts are burning. They understand. The Spirit has penetrated their hearts and transformed them. They're no longer afraid of what could happen to them. They're no longer disillusioned and in doubt. They are filled with the Spirit, convicted, and transformed. And they believe and they trust. Where are you on the road? Are you listening to the other voices out there? Are you walking away because you have doubts and questions? Are you unsure because your eyes tell you one thing? Your heart is not passionate about the Lord. You don't believe his word. Where are you on the road? See, because what He wants for us is to reveal Himself. That our eyes would see. That our hearts would be burning with a passion for Him, with a love for Him because we understand And that we have to tell someone. We have to become his witnesses. We see the truth. We experience his truth in our hearts. It penetrates our very being and transforms our lives and transforms the direction of our lives. So that we long to witness. We long to be in community with other people that understand. And we don't care about what the temporal world says. About the fears that we had previously Because He's touched our hearts Changed our lives. Where are you on the road? Which direction are you heading in? Because He wants your eyes to see and your hearts to burn your lives transformed so that you are on the road with him for all eternity please bow with me in prayer jesus said behold i stand at the door and knock he who opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me Lord Jesus we thank you that you were willing to come amongst us to live as we might live and even more that you were willing to suffer and die for us in our place for our sin your blood shed that you've given us your word and you've given us this sacrament we call Holy Communion that we might see with our eyes be touched in our hearts and transformed. Lord God, I pray for those here today that may not be convinced that they might begin to walk with you even if you're a stranger to them. And reveal yourself to them through your word. And Lord, as we experience this sacrament in community. That all of us might see with our eyes. And be touched in our hearts. Your body broken. Your blood poured out. That our hearts would burn within us. That we would long for community. And that we would be your witnesses. Lord, I pray this day that everyone here would walk along that road with you. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.